You are listening to Mountain to Glen, the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Mountain Glen the podcast. So, quick, a few things to let you know. The interview I had in recent times about the cable car down in Dursey turns out uh, not long after that podcast work has actually started on the cable car. So, it's good to hear that that's finally happened, and um, uh, hopefully, should be up and running before the end of the year. Uh, just to let um, you also know, anyone over in the Galway region or any part of the country, the Galway Mountain Rescue Team will be hosting their charity night hike on the 8th of October called Howl at Moon. Now, you're probably encouraged to howl at the moon while you're out there on the charity walk, but don't frighten the the Gawa team when you're doing that. And last but not least, as as you've probably seen on the Facebook pages, I've been managing to knock off a few more county high points as I walk around the country. You know, that kind of pales into insignificance when I talk about my next guest. Like I've been just doing a few hikes around the country, but my next guest, uh, she's a, a Dutch Canadian musician, been living in kind of guilty for the last twenty five years. Uh, she's she's done a few walks in her time now. Uh, one was from kind of guilty to Santiago, and uh, that was in twenty ten. And she went on to do uh, kind of guilty to Rome in uh, twenty eighteen. And as I speak to her now, Anya Bakar is on our way to Jerusalem from Connacilty, currently in Frankfurt. And she is also bringing with her her harp, Sean. So I'd like to just welcome you, Anya, to the podcast and share the listeners just a little bit more about what you're doing. Ah, okay. Hi, Sean. Good to have you here, too. What am I doing? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So... There's three main pilgrimages overall in, in the traditional Catholic sense, I suppose Christian sense. Um, Santiago de Compostela for the way of the stars, for courage. The way to Rome is the one that is all about the head, dogma, church, the, the understanding of what life is all about. And then the last journey is the one of the soul, the one where some people don't make it and others do. Uh, into a region that, of course, is troubled, has been troubled for as long as the people journey there. Um, so, yeah, here, here I am on my way, Frankfurt so far, and uh, still a long way to go. <laughs> so, uh, tell me, uh, Anya, I mean, to decide to take this journey, I mean, you've, you've done two before, and now you're, you're, as I say, you're walking literally from your front door in Clonakilty all the way to Jerusalem, right across Europe. What is it in particular that actually inspired you to take this journey? This journey from this journey really is about finishing up what I started. So mm-hmm. initially I went to walk a pilgrimage to Santiago. I had no idea what pilgrimage was. Um, I heard some really interesting stories along the way, which kind of made me decide at the time already in 2010 that I wanted more. But I wasn't sure if if I was physically and mentally able to do more because after three months and a few weeks, I was pretty with the fairies at the end of it. Like, I mean, if you've never done a really long journey, it it 
it does funny stuff to your head and to your body. So I went home, I, I uh, met somebody and forgot all about it for about seven years. And then after those seven years, it came back up and I went like, oh, no, I want to finish. I want to I want to do the other two as well, because I wanted to know, was it possible? You know, we know from the Middle Ages that there was a group of harp players from Ireland and Wales that made it to that made it to uh, Jerusalem. And I've been obsessed about how, how did they do that? Because the road network was pretty good. They have the Roman network. I've been walking along the Rhine and that's the, the northern part of the Roman Empire. And there was a good road network right into the Middle Ages. So by the time that the Crusades start to happen, these roads are still being used for trade and for, and then eventually for warfare. So it's, I, I was just wondering, you know, first I had this thing about the Pyrenees. There was no way I could carry a harp over the Pyrenees. Uh, it's not the biggest harp, obviously. It's only 26 strings, but it weighs as, you know, it's a stoning weight, seven kilos. You put a, you put a bag around it. You've got 10 and then yeah. you, you've got to have a spare set of clothes. How do you do that? And who is strong enough to do that? Turns out I'm strong enough. I carried him through the Pyrenees, went, oh, okay, that happened. Uh, then I looked at the Alps and I thought, two and a half thousand meters up? Nah, it's never going to work. So I tried. And then on the 1st of July, 2018, all of a sudden, I was in the Great St. Bernard's Pass, drinking beer, going, ah, did that. <laughs> so... Yeah, then I went home after Rome and I realized that this this thing really is like there is a lot to learn along the way. It wasn't just anymore about strength and about how they did it and why they did it. It, it had become like a very personal story about uh, understanding, you know, the good and the bad within my family, the way I view society, what I view as being important or not. And I thought, obviously... You know, if I learned that much first in 3.2 months and then in five months and a week, what will happen if you go out there for a year? Like, how crazy does it get? How do you finance it? How do you, how, you, how is it even possible to go away for that long? And of course, the contemporary question is, can you do it over land? Because the past, since the start of the war in Syria, People have been have been going to the bottom, either to the bottom of Italy or the bottom of Turkey, and then you take a boat. Mm -hmm. And I got it in my head <laughs> that, okay, the Pyrenees did not kick my bottom. The Alps didn't kick my bottom. Surely the Middle East just isn't possible. I mean, well, there's a challenge and a half, and I want to go try. So I'm probably a little bit crazy. And I'm physically fairly strong, not forever. I'm now heading into my mid-50s, and I realized there is an actual sell-by date on this thing for me. <laughs> so my father died after, after I came back from Rome. The pandemic happened, and then the moment I felt I could walk out of the door, I thought, this is it. I have to try. Let me try, get to the Middle East, see what happens there, and see if I learned enough in those previous two journeys to navigate the the issues around traveling in those regions and is there such a thing maybe as you know i always i you know i talk a lot about saint james who of course is the patron saint of all pilgrims mainly known because of the santiago compostela walk it's the okay. shell that everybody wears i i have him always with me 
is there such a thing as something that is looking out for me? And if there are issues along the road, can I be like a fish not being caught in the net? Is that possible? Yes or no? I suppose I'm in Frankfurt now. We're going to find out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's possible, but I definitely wanted to try. So in, in a way, it has become like, um, you know, you ask a child to get up and then they can stand. Or first you, you ask them to crawl and then they start to crawl and then they want to get up. And before you know it, they're walking and it gets worse from there on out. Then they start running and climbing and doing all kinds of other things. So it's a little bit like that. I, I'm that kid that just wants more all the time I suppose yeah it's it's quite a journey to be able to do that uh, yeah. and just traveling from place to place I mean like yeah, I do feel quite envious uh, of that freedom as well like you know and I can I can say definitely this walking which you mentioned as well I literally pull the door behind me and then I walk away and for me that gives me a different perspective uh, in the world, I know that you can walk from Planakilty to Dublin in 16 days. I mean, you need to walk some roads you don't want to walk, but you can do it in 16 days. Uh, I did that the first time. The second time I went to Wexford, I did it in about 10. But this time I left and I took around because I wanted to take, I wanted to take hiking trails. And I kind of wanted to make the point that we need to do a lot of work on hiking and uh, the ability for people to actually walk out of their doors in Ireland and go into areas where it's safe for walkers to to be free and to hike. You know, there are places that really have done a really, really good job at this. And for instance, from Clonakilty, there is no way out of there unless you go over a big road or you turn west. So I turned west this time <laughs> and went to Dunmanway and through the Giltacht. So it is possible, uh, but there, the, the provisions and stuff really aren't there. If we are really serious about moving forward and moving away from the use of cars and things like that, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to walkers and cyclists, actually. I don't talk about cyclists very often because I don't cycle anymore, although I'm Dutch originally, of course, I grew up there. Yeah. The, the hiking for me is really is an important thing, and I think that, uh, I think it is more important than we'd like to acknowledge, really, for yeah. more people, not just me. Yeah, yeah. The sense of freedom and yeah. the sense of connection it gives a person as well. Yeah, head in the wind. And, you know, there's um, there's a lady in England. She leaves me messages like five times a day at the moment. And I, in the end, I said to her, what you need to do is just go out for a walk. And she she got herself a pair of walking shoes. And now I get like three messages a day. And they tell me everything about how how good it's making her feel. And there's a lot of there's been a lot of stress within society. I mean, you know, I read that yeah. I don't read an awful lot of news, but there's a lot of people that suffer from anxiety, from not feeling well. I, I'm partially convinced that it is the way that we live. We don't spend enough time outside. Like you, would you, you go out there, you know, rain, sunshine. You go out there for an hour. It changes us. It makes us. It makes us happier and freer and better able to adapt to whatever life is throwing at us. But then it needs to be possible for us to do that as well. Yeah, and just on it as well. Like I mean, you're very self-sufficient the whole way. Like yeah. you're even carrying John on your back. Yeah. As you said, what sort of um, preparations beforehand to kind of do or have to make or was some of it even winging it along the way as well? Or how, how did it work for you? 
<laughs> it took me about a year to figure out how I could carry the harp. Um, yeah. This harp was built in the States and it comes with a bag. Now, you know, harp, harps get these bags. You can get them like for guitars. You can get a heart one. You can get a soft one. And I was, they had two types and one is a bit heavier than the other one. It has a bit better insulation. And it came originally with straps. But then the question is, do you, how do you carry it? Which side up? So I carry it upside down because what you want, somebody who knows about this stuff said to me, you need to find the heaviest point of the instrument and that should be as high as possible. So I'm looking at these straps that they've sent me and I put them on the bag and there's no way you can carry it upside down. So I, I walk out of the door. I actually, Marit Kelly, a, a cork harpist, she came down to walk with me uh, just before the Geltacht and she tried as well. And she said, that wasn't great. Like that was not great. Because then you have this, this heavy bit, which is clanging up against the, the back of your legs, the, the upper part of your legs. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. Initially, I actually called the barracks up in Dublin in 2010 and said, is there anybody there who can tell me how to carry an incongruent object over anything? Like, how do you do that? They hung up on me three times. <laughs> <laughs> And they don't have the answer. <laughs> to this young man, and he said to me, "Listen, lady, uh, we get everything pre-packed. I don't make those decisions." That's literally what he said. And then he hung up again. And I thought, fair enough. So at the time, the in Middleton there was still uh, this army uh, surplus store. It now is more like a camping store, but at the time it was really still army surplus. And I went there with the bag. I put it on the counter, and I said. The guy looks at me and he goes, what? And I said, listen, I want to carry this thing. How do I do this? Like, I'm not, I'm not that, like, I can play it. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure it out. And he kind of, he said, how much money have you got? I said, how much do I need? And he said, uh, oh, I can do it cheap. <laughs> and I went, what is cheap? He said, give me 40 euros and I'll kick you out. And he did. What he gave me was, a 1980s Swedish army frame, cable ties, and a few bungee cords. And he said, this should do the trick. And on the on the frame, he put English army straps, like the straps, and then a belt. And he said, unfortunately, in your case, you're going to be very uncomfortable <laughs> because the belt will have to be really tight because the weight is too high. If you can carry it on your hips, you're in business. So we... we Turn the harps upside down. The, the frame is like a table frame. It's not very wide, but the top of the harp just fits in there. So, and then we tied the whole thing, the harp with the bag onto the frame with cable ties. And then, <laughs> and he said, hey, you can stick in whatever you want in there. And I gave him my 40 euros and that was it. So I've replaced the waist uh, strap by now because actually where it's so tight on my waist that I, I break the buckles, you know, those plastic buckles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to pull them so hard that I break them. Uh, so I had to replace that. But otherwise, it's still exactly the same it was as when I walked away from that store at that time. I've replaced the bag a few times. I replaced the belt and that's it. I still have the original straps, the original, the original um, uh, straps on the inside so that the frame doesn't bang onto your back. And it's still working really well. The only thing, of course, is it's heavy. You know, I carry 20 kilos, which is it's officially it's way too much. 
But, you know, Dutch, big, strong woman, they say in Holland, they say, you know, they pulled her out of the clay. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> so I get this really wide upper back over the time that I carry. I get a really strange shape. Uh, but yeah, I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. And I don't mind. Well, yeah, I say you must be toning up quite a lot carrying a harp all the way across Europe. Like. Yeah, my, my biggest issue really is water intake. I find it hard to drink while I walk. So I, I can carry, I, in theory, I could carry the harp. Like by now, I've been on the road for four and a half months. I could carry the harp and walk for about three and a half hours. The issue is it's been crazy hot. Yes. I need to stop every hour to an hour and a half to sink a half a liter water. And then I stop every second hour to sink most of the time a beer and something like a Sprite. And then I go on again and I can't eat while I walk because it's it's very tight on the body. But if you if I have it any less tight, then I get clanging and clunking and it's very uncomfortable. So it's just what it is. That's the price I pay for wanting to do this. And it also tells me that. Although it's a nice idea to think that those young men who went on the Crusades carried their harps, I think it's unlikely. I actually think it's unlikely they, they carried them. It, you know, if you look at the graffures and the, the paintings and stuff, of you see, you know, the minstrel boy to the war is gone. And you see this young man with a sword and you see like a, a kind of shawl and with a harp on it. Yeah. Forget it. Not a hop. Like, no way. No way. So I, I assume that most of them either had donkeys strapped it because how would they have packed it leather leather or cloth and leather how do you keep it safe from the heat and the and the wet it would have been a bit tricky yeah yeah uh, there's definitely one to think about all right yeah that was the preparation right and yeah. as a physical preparation not much not much no uh, uh walking i walk anyway um but like if you have to work Every day, if I get out for an hour, it's a lot. I think like, and this goes for, I, I suppose, unless you get like the real Camino people, and there's quite a few of them, you know, they go every weekend, they go hiking. I'm, I'm not that person. Like, I'm actually not that person. I don't like walking loops. So I, I'll do an hour, two hours, but then I've had enough, you know, and I, I, my thing really is walking A to B is my big thing. I, I love walking A to B. You've been kind of uh, getting used to it as you go along pretty much on, yeah. on, on the journey itself. The first two months always hurt. Like it's really painful the first two months. And then after two months, it just gets less and less painful. And now mm. I have pain about one day a week. Um, and, it, you know, good shoes help, definitely. Good shoes are important. Uh, stretching stretching for my back and uh, the, the legs and stuff, I really need to stretch and I really need to watch it. And then water, water. If you, you have to drink enough, not yeah. even even in cold weather, I need to I need to drink a lot, a lot, a lot, just because the body just needs to get rid of everything. Otherwise, it it doesn't work. In it doesn't end up in good shape. And just some like while you were preparing for all that, all your friends and everything were probably aware that you were you were undertaking this journey. Now they've known you've done it before, but what tends to be the general reaction from your friends when you say, "Listen, I'm off to Jerusalem and kind of walk out the door"? There is. It's always a mixture of um, of aren't you scared? Like, aren't you afraid that something is going to happen? Because yeah. I also, of course, I travel along, so there is. It tends to be like females alone. There seems to be an element of fear always 
for a lot of people. Although the, the, the female hikers I meet that travel alone are never fearful. And there is, if they, if they're experienced, it's unlikely that they've had issues. So th- there's always an element of, uh, that they're worried for me. And on the other hand, they go like, if there is somebody who can do this, it is you. Like, but we're not really getting how, but I get a lot. I get a lot. I, I always say to them, please just keep sending me messages. You know, think of me from time to time and send me a message when you do think about me. And those messages are always wonderful. And they go, they're always very, very, very supportive. I don't think any, anybody I know has ever really turned around and said, oh, I think that's really dumb what you're doing. Yeah. I don't think that has ever happened. I think it because it is, of course, it's a little bit Peter Pan and it's a little bit like it's like being a kid again and reading adventure stories inside of me. The way the way I think about those journeys, it is always about the adventure, all the stuff I do not know. And I always say to them, listen, what do you know about any of those areas? Because I know nothing. And I like to go and see it and i have an obsession about food and drink and stuff Mm -hmm. i want to eat all the food they got along the way like my brother went about for instance about germany he said uh, you do realize they just eat schnitzels right (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) he said it's all schnitzels and beer Turns out Frankfurt does, it's it's only today was the first time I ate a schnitzel and I've been for over a month in Germany. Now I've eaten some weird stuff here as well, like sauerbraten, not great, but you know, I've tried all of it and it's not all beer. Frankfurt has got apple wine. It's kind of vinegary. It's really mm-hmm. sour, but it'll punch a hole in your head. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can get it with a, like, Lime or lime cordial and and uh, and oh. prudel as they call it here, which is just sparkling water. So yeah, they have they have interesting stuff. Like it's not all schnitzels, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not disappointed. <laughs> Doing pretty good. Like it's been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so times when you kind of miss home while you're on your travels, or are you are you enjoying the moment and been out there as well? I go, I go from, from day to day. Um, I try and be as much in the moment as possible. I think yeah. that is part of a journey like this. However, what happens for me is that you do end up comparing because obviously I'm not originally from Ireland and I haven't lived there my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I have these moments where I go, where I compare and I go like, well, if you didn't live in Ireland, would you live here? The answer always is no. So I always want to, so in that sense, I always want to go back. And when I have like, when I have difficult days, then, you know, I live a pretty simple life in Ireland. Mm -hmm. That is what I miss then. You know, I miss, miss being able to sit out in the, out in the, on the step in the back garden and just watch the cats and hear the dog, the neighbor's dogs. And the the comfort of, of familiarity is the thing that I miss the most. My bed. Ah, just sleeping in one bed and knowing it's your bed and you put the the sheets on and stuff. Those are the things I really miss. Yeah. Yeah. Going down to the baras, having lunch or going for a pint, you know, those. So it's comfort. It's more comfort than anything. Familiarity and comfort. And just on that, when you said, like you said, yeah, you miss your own bed. How are you managing for accommodation as you walk across Europe? I mean, 
you know, yeah, like I'm saying, I, I'd be thinking, yeah, if I'm going away for, say, a month or something like that, you usually kind of tend to manage your accommodation. That's a month. You're going right across Europe. That's a whole different ball game. Exactly. So about preparation, yeah, I do none. I do none because I know it never works. It never works out. So obviously, I definitely talk a lot while I'm on the road about being a pilgrim. Obviously, I've got the harp. That is very, very helpful. In Ireland, it was I got a lot of help from my friends and people who were either who are either involved with uh, with church communities and religious communities. I actually I was very, very especially grateful for the Nanonego sisters, uh, both in Cork and Dublin. Like they I, I ended up. I got straight up in the first two weeks. It was April. That horrible weather that we had, I was on Mount Mushra on that night and got rained out and had no way of getting out there. I had another 32 kilometers to go to Green and it it started raining and I'm I'm in there and I couldn't go down. I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go anywhere. So I put up, I have a hangmat. I have a hammock. I've got a tarp and I've got a beefy bag just for emergencies. Straight up within the first two weeks, I had to use them. And that was that was tough because it was cold. And, you know, I had a sleep at the time I had a sleeping bag that really I knew I should have gotten a new one. But I was thinking I'd be walking into summer. I'd be fine. I'd sort it out by the end of the summer. <laughs> Five degrees in a hammock with the cold coming off the floor. I was not a happy bunny. Cramp all night. So what happens then is that I, um, I have a fundraiser this time round, and uh, I had said just because I'm a little bit older it would be nice if I could if I feel that it becomes too much that I can book myself into places now lucky enough in Ireland I didn't have to do that but by the time that I was in England it was still cold and I ended up having to pay for uh, places to stay the issue with that is is that I feel because it's a pilgrimage and because I I tend to want to travel as a pilgrim if I pay for accommodation, I don't allow other people to help me. And being helped is a big part of being a pilgrim because one of the lessons you have to learn is humility. Mm. So, and it's a lesson I struggle with a lot. So, you know, you have to learn to ask, to develop the ability to ask and uh, develop the patience to, to let it sink in to other people being what it is what you're doing there you're not there to take anything you're not there to to you're just there to have that experience and of course because i have the harp what i'm saying is that i want to be with other people i want to meet everybody along the road because i'm playing them my music i hope the moment i pay for my bed means that i'm opting out of that yeah. because normally i say i have a harp you know i'm looking for a place to stay I have a harp. I can play. Is there something we can do? So this is a struggle I have all the time because sometimes, and I found that this time I'm a bit older. I I don't have as much energy. I used to be able to sit there till 11 o'clock at night and go like, I don't know where I'm going. Now, as the journey is going on, it actually got better. But in England, both in England and in, uh, in the Ruhr, actually, I found that I really struggled with it. 
for different, completely different reasons. And in the Netherlands, it is more or less really strict about wild camping, for instance. So I really had to book into campings, which is fine. A friend of mine came to walk with me and he said, I want to call the day before. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not how it works because you don't know. What if it's really bad weather and you don't make it? Then these people are waiting for you. Better figure out how far you feel you can go that day. And then you decide whether you go to this camping or that camping. How far can you go? Yeah. Uh, now, he he got pretty freaked out, you know, the first few days. But after a few days, he kind of went like, hmm, okay, this, this kind of works. You know, you call by three o'clock in the evening because you know that they're going to be gone by six. And then you're within five or ten kilometers, which is an hour to two hours away. That's a fair enough deal, you know. After all, you're you're paying for it, so <laughs> that's just, you know you don't have to give two weeks' notice. But it is it is the the I, I suppose for most travelers the bad thing is really is the freaky out bit. That is yeah. the freak. That's the bit where people freak out because what happens if you don't have a bed? But that's why I have the hammock and the tarp. I have I make no bones about it. Like if it gets dark, you know, if especially in nature, nature areas and stuff, nobody is gonna be there. So it gets dark, ten minutes before it's dark, I've got that hammock up in five minutes. You know, yeah. then all I have to do in the dark is make sure that everything is not eaten by <laughs> by snails and other stuff, or that if it rains that nothing gets wet. But then you go to sleep and the sun comes up, you get up again and you're gone. So they don't even know that you're there. Uh, and that that would be my preferred way. So the past week, I, I've been sleeping on the, the Rhine is very, very low, very low. It's probably the lowest, I believe, since 1901. And I've been sleeping along the Rhine banks. There are campings there. But one night, was it at the Lorelei, which is this rock, which is really famous in the Romantics. William Turner has made paintings about it. And uh, it features in a Wagner opera and stuff. So I went to play on, at the Lorelei. There is a camping there. I had walked, it was 33 degrees, it was so hot. Uh. By the time I arrived there, I pay my, no, it wasn't much money. It was 11 euros or something. I didn't even, after playing, I didn't even have the energy to plug my phone in, to take a shower or to go to the loo. I just fell over, fell asleep. I woke up in the morning, I'm thinking, why did I pay that money? That was, <laughs> that was silly, like. Yeah. So I went like, no more, no more, no more, no more. So I'd eat in, it, at the camping restaurant and then just move down for 500 meters, slap down the, the mats because you don't even need anything right now. It's so warm the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. True. So, so that is that is how we do accommodation. And the, the, more, the more secure you feel, and for me, definitely less people, then just sleep out if you can. Mm. And people offer, like the other day, I was really getting very smelly. And then somebody said, like, uh, oh, listen, you can take a shower at my place. I was like, great. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll play you some harp. And they were like, you can have the couch then, too. Hmm, thank you. Great. I just on that, I say Sean has been helping a little bit in the way as well. Yeah, all the time. All the yeah. time. Obviously, like the visual, if you see me walking down the road, I just saw, I, I did an interview there with uh, the one of the local German television stations here, and uh, I saw the footage, and I was thinking, if I would see myself walking down the road, I'd want to have a chat with this woman, like, and that is exactly what happens, people just stop, and it was, it's really interesting, because the Irish, the Irish will just, you know, they have their way of starting a conversation we yeah. all know how that one goes the English, that, really 
<laughs> exactly. And then the English, they kind of went like, hmm, that's a heavy backpack, you know, what's in there? And I, I have to give them that is that they do ask what's in there. Then I arrived in Holland. I couldn't believe it. Like, and they didn't know I, I can understand them. But they literally, all the kids were going like, mom, what's in the backpack? What, what's the woman doing with the big backpack? And they'd go like, oh, that's a really big tent. And I'm thinking, what? You, you, you're not even polite enough to ask me what's in there. You've already made up your mind. And every single one did it. And I thought, oh, I don't like it here. <laughs> oh, that's it. Holland is, I grew up there. I realized I know nothing about the country. And it's very, very beautiful. But the people are really, their attitude is really weird. If they see something that they do not know, they don't ask questions. They mm. just fill it in themselves. They make up their minds. And then, and they will talk to you in that way as well. Well, that's a really big tent that you've got there. Like what you've got, like the kitchen sink, you know? And I was like, why don't you just ask me what's in the bag? And I was getting really cranky with <laughs> That doesn't work. And the Germans, they, they say this thing, ah, sie schleppen viel, viel, eh? das, das, das ist schwer. So it's, you're, you're carry, schlepp, schlapping is actually carrying. So every time they say it, I burst out laughing. And I go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you know how these musicians are. You have to bring the instrument. And then I go, oh, it's a musical instrument. What is it then? And it was. And the other day there was one on the market in Mainz. And he said, you got a harp on your back. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that only happens in Wales. Whenever I get off the boat in Wales, they go like, oh, look, a woman with a harp. And I go like, how do you guys know that? And they go, well, it's our national symbol. And I go, It's in Ireland as well, you know, and they go like, I am of the Irish, they wouldn't know. <laughs> the Welsh say. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking this guy in Mainz is like either Welsh or he knows something that I don't know. Turns out he had seen me play the day before somewhere, so he knew what was in the bag. Snake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very cute, very cute, yeah. And on your journey as well, you've had a chance to meet up with a lot of friends uh, as well. Yeah. I try, I try my best. I, I haven't met everybody. Uh, I tried. I, actually, in Ireland, I made a, a good effort of uh, trying to meet everybody and anybody. And, and I, I put up on a lot of, you know, the hiking Facebook groups and stuff that I was coming through. And if anybody wanted to come and meet me. What I always find really interesting is that harp players are not supportive towards each other at all. Like, it's a really weird thing. Like, we don't for some reason. Like, Marit Kelly was the only harp player I met in Ireland. And the Netherlands, the same thing. There was uh, one harp player who got in touch with me there. But yeah, I did. I, I tried and I met some really interesting people. And I was hosted by people. Uh, I, got, I got offers for people to host me and stuff who I didn't know also in England in that way. It was very, very interesting. Oh, and of course, and I use uh, trust routes, couch surfing, pitcher tent. Uh, uh, the, the Dutch have like friends on bicycles and stuff. You can stay somewhere for 20 euros with a breakfast and It's in private people's homes. And so, you know, all the cheap options and the non-paying options, I use all of them. Like, and I just send out messages and see what turns up. I think that after the pandemic, that has become a whole lot harder than it was before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. The pandemic did change the world, all right. Yeah, it did, it did. And that's the end of part one of this two-part interview with Anna Bacar. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Part two will be out soon, so keep an eye out for that. 
And also, just to let you know, shortly after the recording of this interview, Anna had to put her trip to Jerusalem on hold due to a personal family crisis back home here in Ireland. So it would be great if we could just keep her in our thoughts at this time. Until next time, folks, take care. If you want to contact us, then you can do so by emailing us at mountaintoglen at gmail.com or by following Mountain to Glen, the podcast, on Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening.